this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, it's that time. We're back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in lovely downtown Concord, here with Bevo. Hey, Bevo. Hello. <laughs> oh, man, her New Year's resolution was to uh, get in there quicker with the hello. It's pretty good. It was yeah, wonderful. Great content. Thank you. <laughs> Scott's here, too. Hey, Scott. Hey, man. How's it going? It's going all right. Yeah. Excited to be in the studio with today's guest. Today's guest is... Almanac Beer Company. We're here with uh, Phil and David. Hey, guys. What is this? Their mics aren't oh, on. Oh, press that button on your box there. That's, that's my fault. The, the one on the front. There you go. Try it now. Hello, hello. Yeah. Hello, hello. Okay. Well. No. Hello, hello. There we go. Hey. All right. You'd think uh, we'd learn by now to work out stuff after that. What are we on? Year 16, Beef? We still don't work stuff out before the show starts? <laughs> Jesus. It's kind of our thing. It is. <laughs> hey, welcome back, man. We uh, we last talked to Phil. Uh, I think it was just you, Phil, right? When we did our, our show live from the Rare Barrels. It's just about a year ago right now. Happy cool. to be back. Yeah, nice to have you back. That was a fun time. In the studio this time. Yes. And we're excited to see what's new with Almanac and try some of their delicious beers. Uh, before we get into that, delayed gratification, we have to nag you like we always do at the top. <laughs> uh, you can contact us. <laughs> You're not going to. 888-401-BEER. No, I thought you updated your notes. I did. 888-401-BEER? I still say that every time. I think we, we didn't we uh, cancel the phone lines in like 2017? Bevo's no, we did. Yeah, in we a did. very impatient fashion. <laughs> how did I up? How did I do that? Jay, Jay was very excited. He came in for the first time Let's in go, six years with n- a new sheet, new notes. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was like, look, man, I got rid of all this stuff that I don't say anymore. And then, you, and then <laughs> first, I've, I've actually I've gotten one thing wrong before the show, or I've had to cross one thing out, and now I cross another thing out. All right? Yeah, perfect. Now, now I'll actually like look at it and read it. Yeah. So, uh, and Daniela will be answering your calls. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm your host, Brewcaster J. Uh, no. uh, let's see. Join us in the chat. That's a thing. Bebo is like, I don't know. I don't no. think so. Right. <laughs> Bebo, can you please help? What is happening? I mean, the chat room exists. I don't have the ability to go into it anymore because I run the cameras. Okay. <laughs> Just killing it. This is a great operation we have going uh, it's unmoderated. There you go. E- e- email still exists. Scott, 2021. Yeah, Scott at com. J at com. That still works. I think so. Uh, go post in the in the uh, Reddit forum for Brewing Network. Does that, does that exist? I just got on Reddit. It's great. I love Reddit. Plug for Reddit. Sponsor us. <laughs> so the cameras exist. That's that's something we got. com slash TV. And uh, you can listen live on the Brewing Network app. I'm just pausing for, like, confirmation. <laughs> no, there's no app. There's never been an app. Search PN Mobile in the App Store. The first thing that comes up when you search Brewing Network Reddit is a thread titled, I like the Brewing Network, comma, but. <laughs> that, that, that's literally, that's all it says. Oh. I like the Brewing Network, but. Oh, and then no, it's uh, subject. And 51 then comments. But I'm sure we just are <laughs> But that was, hot before, garbage. that was before Sarah, though. Uh, mm, sure. Four years ago? No, it wasn't. Maybe it's Way because before. we started I, it. <laughs> I actually don't think there is an app anymore. Are you I'm, serious? I'm serious, yeah. <laughs> Hold on one second. Why would there be? <laughs> well, I also just tried to look it up because I certainly don't have it on my phone. No, why would you? <laughs> but I can't find it in the app store. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Just download the damn oh podcast and call it a day. All the other stuff is nonsense, apparently. Yeah. Just uh, you can sick. you can tell there's been cutbacks. Please give the Brewing Network money. <laughs> we're gonna have to have to, we're gonna have to do like a uh, one of those infomercials. I, I with, debated like, telling you. <laughs> Should I say something? Yeah, we can cut that out. We won't. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> we we got rid of the editing software. <laughs> My Adobe subscription has expired. Yeah. B, what do I do? Well. It's still a podcast, I think. <laughs> Are we recording? <laughs> so subscribe to the podcast, and I'd say leave feedback, but honestly, uh, don't at this point. Cause, uh, go hang out on Milk the Funk, man. That's yeah. where your feedback's at. <laughs> Listen to our last show. We had uh, Kevin Osborne from Celador. That was a great show, man. Kevin's beers kick ass. Have you guys had much Celador beer? Yeah, we really like Celador a lot. Holy moly, he's Kevin's killing a wizard it. for sure. I can't remember us ever having... Like a lineup of beers that were so different. Yeah, from, really like, varied. The previous ones. It, he kind of brought, I mean, there was one that was like, this is like whiskey, like, but it was like yeah. still and in like a whiskey bottle. and but Very spirit like. Yeah, you know, there was a couple left over uh, from the, the stash, and uh, we opened one up in Tahoe over the weekend. It was a, uh, that same bottle, mm-hmm. or like a, like a small wine bottle, yeah. and it was a blackberry red wine again a still beer and it was very like the whiskey was spirit like this was very wine like hmm. but blackberry forward and just wonderful man yeah. that guy's killing it cool stuff so yeah go back and listen to that show and what else anything else new from the last show scott um well it's a new year it's a new year you know here we are in 2020 and i think you know we talked a little bit at the end of uh, 2019 about sort of what's coming up and mm-hmm. uh you guys your big thing is this uh, your brew house getting hooked sure. up so let's get a progress report yeah, not <laughs> no, no update. No, actually, <laughs> we are going to start. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking in my mind about saying that out loud. Um, no, we've got equipment in, and uh, I'm going to start saying the N word over and over. <laughs> no. 
no, no. Is <laughs> <laughs> he one of the only laughs of the season? From I'll cut it out and post you. <laughs> um, you guys got all your fermenters, right? Yeah, we got those. Happened. We got fermenters. Super exciting. We got other equipment. I'll tell you off air what I was going to say, okay, all right. and then this will make sense. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 moving along f- swimmingly, and uh, um, we're hoping to be all done with it in two months from now. Probably more like three months from now. Yeah, okay. it's just like a lot of waiting around, and then wait around and hurry up. Sure. You know? So Q two twenty twenty. Yeah, right on the edge. Okay. Q one Q two. Spear barrel pilsner. Look for it. I mean, Whoa. Seriously. <laughs> loggers. I mean, we're, de- we're definitely going to make a Pilsner. Oh, There's we're making loggers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know what I need to do is I need to go pull the audio from the session, your guys' appearance back in 2014 when you were like, oh, we're going to only ever make sour beer. No, 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 no. Do you think we said that? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, something <laughs> along. So? Maybe, maybe not exactly that, but. We probably talked a lot about being an all sour beer company yeah. and how that's important to us. And it, you know. It has been and still is that we're sour focused, but you know it's it's great that we have Almanac here today because I think we're we've it's not the same path, but you know similar paths. And you guys are making a lot of uh, clean beer these days and terrific clean beer. Actually, when we were talking about the Pilsner, I was thinking of um, I, I forget the exact name, but it's something like Craft vibes. Pilsner or Craft Lager. Is that it? Vibes, yeah, yeah vibes. Super good. And I remember when we came to do a tour of uh, Almanac, I think that's all all I was drinking, and I drank quite a bit of it. <laughs> so, you know, I think things change over time, and um, but yeah, I think that's maybe just a good. Set. Are you are you looking up the audio right oh, now? Oh no 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 no! I I need some time to pull that. But I, yeah. I you know what I know for sure is that uh, you were like, well, we're you know we're a muffin top brewery. So what you're sure. saying is you're going to start making muffin bottoms. <laughs> we're going to sell like we're muffin bottoms. We're yeah, going to no. sell mostly muffin tops. It's not a dig. And some muffins. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I don't think we're selling any muffin bottoms. <laughs> Anything that's muffin related that anybody wants to buy. You want that muffin trunk? Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> That muffin trunk real good. <laughs> but, you know, things do change over time. And, you know, speaking of changing focus a little bit and going from not having a brewery to having a brewery, maybe you guys could tell us a little bit about kind of the brief history of time, the brief history of Almanac for those who are not familiar with it. Yeah, totally. So, you know, Almanac started off as a contract, you know, tenant brewery. So we... We had our work produced by other folks, and they handled packaging, and then uh, we did a lot of blending ourselves um, in the very beginning, and you know that worked great for a while. We made some good beers. We were really happy with what came out, but it had its limitations, and um, so we were able to eventually open our own brewery, and uh, that's kind of where we are today, about two years later. It's kind of nice. you know. It's like having roommates. You're like, who who used this bowl? Why is this bowl dirty? Or where's my spoon? And uh, now it's like you know where your spoons are every day. They ate my leftovers? Yeah. Are you for real? <laughs> totally. You can only blame yourself for the dirty dishes. No one else. I mean, that's sort of the mantra that we take now with having a brewery is that it's, um, there's just not an excuse. If it is, it's it's you. It's like mm-hmm. you got to, you know, there's, there's not a reason for bad beer whatsoever anymore. So in a way, it's kind of scary. And in, in a way, it's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's... It's a it's a good way to like ease into the whole like starting a brewery thing too when you're there's so much else to do like when it comes to distribution starting a brand and rebranding and rebranding and rebranding 
over it's almanac. And over and over again. Totally. <laughs> you know, we, um, you know, kind of, kind of like, you know, just speaking to like, like Rare Barrel said, never make a sour. I think it's awesome they're going to make other beer. Actually, you know, for us, like it's like we, I think at some point we said we'd never make an IPA. Uh, that mm-hmm. never, that's not true. We actually make more IPA than we make anything these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, this is why you got to avoid the sweeping statements, mm-hmm. you know, when you start statements. businesses. Yeah. <laughs> Keep all doors open. <laughs> I th- I, we, you should look at, our, look at the language we use, you know, the, the door is cracked open for sure. For sure. There yeah. was a lot of point we, we said we were never going to make fresh beer again. And that was back when we didn't have our own brewery. And, and it's obviously now we make a lot of fresh beer actually. And, um, it's one of those things I think, you know, it's, I'm glad we do, but kind of that sweeping statement thing again. Who knows what the future is four years ago, right? What is the uh, ratio? You said you're, it's more IPA now than anything else? Like our top three you know, brands are going to be Love, Loud. Um, so Love's an IPA, Hazy IPA, Loud's a Dippa, Hazy Dippa. And then it's going to be the Sour Novas. But you know, Sour Novas for us, they rotate throughout the year, different fruit. But those are canned, natural, 100% mixed fermentation, oak fermented, sours. It's kind of cool thing for our top three. Yeah, that's definitely a cool thing. But ratio-wise, like 30 to 70, sour to fresh. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yep. So, uh, you know, brief, that's briefly Almanac. And I think, you know, you guys are here because you do put such a focus on the sour side of things. But let's get into what you guys, your individual roles are and even have been at Almanac since uh, since you started there. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'm the production quality manager. This uh, is David. Yes. And uh, I Not got Dave. Not Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, Diamond, I, Diamond Dave. I started, uh, you know, when the new facility was still in construction, helped sweep floors and build tables before we could actually brew. Mm-hmm. Um, did a little end of cleanup blending at the old spot, but uh, I basically run our quality program, which needs to be tip-top shape since we are making so much fresh and sour beer. I also handle a lot of the scheduling in terms of slotting in uh, where we brew, where we package the sour versus fresh beer, and making sure everyone's on top of like their roles in terms of uh, what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of monkeys to wrangle, but we've got a good crew of monkeys, so it makes it pretty easy. David's a monkey sure they conductor, love, for yeah. sure. <laughs> sure they love that, yeah. Oh, they're <laughs> stoked. <laughs> Enough monkeys brewing, eventually you get good sour beer. You yeah. know what they say. True yeah, facts. I've heard that. So uh, I'm Phil. Uh, so m- my original role was uh, barrel sale manager about five years ago with Almanac. I referred to myself as Barrel Monkey because we didn't have ladders. <laughs> uh, so OSHA I, has a statute of limitations. OSHA has a, yeah, <laughs> five years ago. Uh, we have ladders now. Come work at Almanac. We have ladders. <laughs> uh, Safety first. <laughs> so I, so I'm, I'm the head brewer there. Um, I don't like the title brewmaster, but that's what it says on my card. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, between me and David, we basically manage production, um, you know, write SOPs, make sure everything is organized and, you know, on the trains on schedule. I do mostly, most of the blending myself, but it's definitely a team effort. We all taste barrels together and kind of work through it, but yeah. um, kind of good team effort, actually, to be honest. Good. How many, how many monkeys are there? There's 11 the monkeys, beer. including yeah. myself. Okay. Yeah. There's 11 colleagues, including myself. <laughs> I'm going to stop calling them monkeys now. Okay. We love you guys if you're listening. Yeah. Totally love our team. We have um, a lot of the same people for the, since we've opened the brewery, and um, that means a lot to me. You guys are out on Alameda Island now? Yep. Right down the street from Faction, over on the, uh, they call it Spirits Alley. So we mm-hmm. got Rockwall and uh, St. George's neighbors. Yeah. Probably for people outside of the area, you know, apologies to everyone else, but St. George is like pretty famous 
naturally for their spirits and they've pretty just like famous gin and i mean if you go there for a tour they have everything good but yeah they're our homies we like to collaborate with them hit them up for spirit barrels any funky stuff that they have and uh for sure there's a definitely nice to have a neighbor that makes awesome booze so we brought two beers to drink that uh actually feature their spirits nice that's great and right by um admiral maltings too Mm mm-hmm Best neighbors to have. Yeah. Um, we use Admiral in basically every beer we brew. We're by far their biggest customer. Maybe it's just proximity. I don't know. We love their malt. It's a great malt. Ron and Curtis are just amazing people. I really can't say enough about what they're doing. I believe so you in don't it. like Dave. Uh, Dave's a sweetheart. Yeah, I just don't see him. He's always on the road. You know, he's he's always like touring. As, yeah, I see yeah. him. I see him out there. He's always on the road. But I yeah. see uh, those guys every day, and uh, they're great folks to commiserate with. You know, they open the same time we opened, and. Uh, I don't think we would be doing as well today if we didn't have his neighbors. Yeah, it's it's a great place to visit for sure. I mean, I'm I'm very envious. You know, I think we have a lot of great things going on in Berkeley, but not so close and not so just like this is what I want to do on a trip. You can get so many different things. It's pretty pretty spectacular. Just so for for those of you that um, uh, may not be familiar by by name with where this is exactly, uh, you might know it from the show Mythbusters, where they did a lot of testing of uh, like cars and explosions and stuff. Didn't they do it right out in that area? Totally out on that runway. One of those hangars was there. Uh, it's the Indiana Jones uh, Temple of Doom movie. Matrix yeah. Reloaded also. Really? Oh, my God. They're actually filming Matrix 4 right now on the island. Is that Keanu, right? Keanu Reeves has been spotted in what? Alameda. No way. 100%. Let's oh, go. Right right no kidding. Uh, so not only is there lore from all these uh, things that we just mentioned, but also, you know, that there's like panoramic views of San Francisco, which you yeah. see just across the bay, sort of looming over the, the skyline there, which is, it's an uh, amazing place to spend an afternoon. And the other crazy part is to get there, you sort of drive through uh, zombie apocalypse land, like abandoned factories and stuff. Is that still true? It's changing, yeah. I mean, so it's changing the crazy. Base, base closed twenty years ago, um, but it's all kind of being redeveloped now. It's kind of kind of cool because it's like the last piece of land in the bay that's not been developed, right? So you know, the skate park's empty and clean and nice. <laughs> well, I and, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, the, your guys' presence and you know, faction and admiral and and, and St. George yeah. and et cetera are. are I mean, helping that change uh, come come along quicker. Is yeah, that there's right? a lot of development happening. Like just a block away from us, they're building a bunch of condos, mixed use commercial space, parks. Like the Navy finally sold the land to the city for development. So yeah. within the next couple of years, you'll see that entire area completely changed. They're building another even ferry terminal a block away from us that's supposed to open up this year. So you know, Alameda is going to be the new like hotspot in yeah, the Bay. I believe. Sure. I think. I, I mean, it already, and it kind of has been a little bit in the last, you know, five years especially. It's it's gotten quite quite hot. I hope it, it doesn't be really, change. Not yeah. like it's sleepy. It's really right. nice. Yeah, yeah. That giant's about to wake. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a well kept secret. Until and now. the best tiki bar in the world. Oh yeah, oh, if you want we a good there, tiki bar, Forbidden yeah. Island. That's when did we go there, Jay? We went there. Re- oh, after the cruise. That's right. Yeah, that was a yeah. That, that was a great bar. That was a great time. Well, now, all right. Well, you guys are going to be flooded now with fans <laughs> yeah. swimming heard, to the island. I heard Keanu's here. <laughs> Keanu's here. Where is he? Yeah. Sour Hour and John Wick fans. <laughs> break time? Yeah, Here's I want to drink uh, some Almanac beer. Let's do that. Let's uh, go source one of these Almanac beers. We'll be right back after a quick break. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. 
We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Mike Tonsmeyer, the Mad Fermentationist. You're listening to The Sour Hour on The Brewing Network. All right. We're back. Max on the show. We have Phil and David here in studio. And it's the best time of any day. We've cracked open our first beer. Yes, we have. It's not the first beer I've had today. But <laughs> oh, I'm hammered. Yeah. It's the first Almanac beer. <laughs> the shakes just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it's when the day really starts. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are laughing. Uh, good times. Funny because it's true. <laughs> um, so I think I overheard. I'm <laughs> moving on. I think I overheard that this is. Um, there's gin and bread, and that's all I heard. What what beer is this? What's it called? And tell us about it. Yeah, so this is a gin barrel aged uh, meeting place. So this is a collab we did with um, Blackberry Farm. Uh, mm. Shout out to those guys, amazing beers, um, and it's really inspired by the beers that they make. So uh, different from a lot of our beers, it had a primary. Uh, Belgian fermentation and a fooder. Uh, we pulled off maybe about 10% of the volume originally knockout. Uh, fermented that with a single strain of Brett, our favorite uh, Bruxellensis, and then uh, blended all those back together again and bottle conditioned it. This particular version before it got bottle conditioned obviously went to barrel for gin, and it's a St. George gin, they're a terroir. And uh, we didn't do anything else with it, just kind of a nice restrain acidity so we didn't introduce bacteria but we we use a fooder that we use uh, mixed culture in normally um, kind of on purpose to get a little bit of tartness but really a healthy pitch of belgian just to let that kind of come through mostly you said it's your favorite type of brux what what is that so uh shout out to jasper yeast um it is their chateau brux we've been using that for almost five years at almanac it's part of our house mix we do some single fermentation with it from time to time to me, the note is just very pear and creamy, very nice, rounded, fruity bread, voracious appetite, just awesome all-around uh, yeast. So voracious appetite, what do you mean by that? Does it mean, like, can it ferment on its own, or does, yeah, it, it, go to, does it go to zero, zero? Or? Yeah, I mean, um, most of our beers are, you know, one plate or lower, so it's it's just super hungry. Our mixed culture usually ends up around zero. Um, if we do single bread strains or bread in a sack, we usually end up just around, you know, 0.8 to one plate of finishing. So this beer here, I believe, was like a half plate or something like that. That's super it. dry. Would you say it's thirsty? It's thirsty. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll clip that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, oh, no, clip it out and we'll use it as it a drop. And yeah, and use it yeah. as a drop. Uh, yeah. Uh, so how do you like working with Blackberry Farm? What's what's their kind of uh, ethos versus the Almanac way of making beer? It's thirsty. Okay. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So there's well a lot done, of overlap. Scott. It's the best For thing you've done in three years. So. <laughs> three only. Wow, awesome. So there's a lot of overlap, I think, between Almanac and Blackberry Farm, and that's sort of where a lot of our friendship started is, you know, they try to use local ingredients uh, as much as possible. Same for us. Very slow methodology of brewing. Their beers are just beautiful, very Belgian-inspired, although I wouldn't, you know, just lump them in that corner because they make a great pale ale and they make a great Kolsch as well. Really just accomplished brewers in general. But they're they're sort of farm-to-barrel 
Uh, that's copyright. Don't use it. But <laughs> they're sort of farm to barrel as well and how they live. Um, they're on a farm that makes most of what they use. Uh, you know, just world-class restaurant. Just amazing. Good folks to know. And then uh, the head brewer, Travis, is just really accomplished brewer. His previous life was a distiller. And I think he approaches brewing from a different lens from most brewers for that perspective. Makes phenomenal beers. Nice. Yeah, actually, I think we have one of our questions. And thanks to uh, the Milk the Funk Forum for coming up big with some questions for us. Sorry, browsing Jeopardy music in the background. <laughs> Got it. Uh, we have Brock New asking, ask about the F- Farm to Face series. How do they utilize their space and capacity to produce such a crazy range of fruited sours? Part two. What types of ratios are they using for fruiting and time frame space period? We'll talk about that on the next beer that we try. Then maybe let's broaden it out a little bit more for this. You know, you talked about farm to barrel copyright and you have <laughs> farm to face. So farm what? to face is Allagash. Farm to face. Yeah, we're farm to barrel. Maybe they just mean. But shout out to Allagash. Honestly, love their beers and. Uh, Constant source of inspiration. Brock New. Jason just texted me and said to knock it off immediately. Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he listens live to every episode. <laughs> so, well, then let's talk about Let's just kind of broaden it out because I think that the general part of the question is uh, you guys do a lot of fruited beers and how do you deal with doing so many fruited beers and what's the... What, what's the connection to working directly with farmers for Almanac? So we've been working with um, some of the same farms now for over six years. Uh, shout out to Blossom Bluff. Um, we get most of our stone fruit from those guys. Uh, we buy imperfect produce from them. It's pretty awesome for both parties. We get fruit that's incredibly ripe, but not, uh, you know, it's got a bruise or something. Um, they'll freeze it in buckets that we use that we don't have waste. There's no bags. They bring the buckets back. We clean them, bring them back. They'll bring it full up of fruit. And we take up over about 30,000 pounds just from that one farm every year. Wow. Um, we take in about 60,000 pounds total of whole fresh fruit. And that's not including, you know, any sort of purees or freeze-dried fruit for special projects. Um, so we're definitely, you know, busy with fruit from, like, May to almost you know, end, end of September. <laughs> yeah, September, October, for sure. When Summer's fresh. busy. Yeah. So when everything's coming in, it's when we're really cra- uh, cranking. We're lucky to have a lot of fooders. So most of the time, they're just fermenting beer. But when the fruit season comes, they end up being doubled as fruit fermenters. Gotcha. If I recall, I think I might have seen either on Instagram or something like that, you guys got some fooders with conical bottoms. Am I making that up? Or? Yeah, oh, totally. yeah. And I would imagine those would be great for fruit refermentation that was the original intention <laughs> we haven't actually used them for that yet uh, we've used them you know we dry hopped them a few times and yeah. uh, i guess we've added a little bit of fruit to them at different purposes but we're, we're, we've we've kept one fooder just strictly saccharomyces and britannomyces and the other one's mixed culture and we've been using them kind of as primary fermenters actually hmm. as a as, as part of our process shout out to fooder crafters for making amazing equipment it's yeah just been super useful it definitely when you're fruiting at like you know seven thousand eight thousand pounds of fruit into a, a vessel even if it's wood, it's going to take a while to get all that stuff out. And so we found, uh, especially on our bigger fruiting runs, we'll f- do that in our stainless steel mm. because you can really apply pressure, you can really apply apply heat, and you're not going to damage that vessel at all. Whereas like the wood might get hurt and it might not really handle all that. And we need to flip these tanks. Like We got projects going on all the time, so 
it can't be a five day process getting fruit out of, out of a fooder. It's got to happen within a couple hours. So the stainless steel vessels, especially on bigger fruiting runs, is where that happens. Totally. And, and you touched on the pressure point, and that's something that, you know, every beer we make, fresh or sour, we utilize pressure. We spooned in the process and try to capture as much natural CO2. Since we have a counter-pressure filler, we can bottle condition still, but we can get most of the naturally done in the tank. So that's kind of, I think, for, like, the fruit, we're trying to retain aroma. Yeah, it makes sense. And with with so many different options that you guys have, and you've got you got a big, beautiful space sound like the president uh <laughs> it's terrific everyone's saying it's the biggest it's the biggest the best uh, <laughs> but you have so much uh versatility there with like i'll just contrast it with the rare barrel i mean we have we have our tanks when we have oak barrels and we don't really go with fooders a lot to and every once in a while my staff will ask like why don't we ever get fooders and essentially they're pretty expensive compared to like oak barrels oak barrels are almost a commodity in california and what do you what do you view as some of the main benefits and any maybe uh detractions from people thinking about getting fooders convince jay to buy a fooder so, so i mean you know the convince price my staff to stop <laughs> the price is absolutely me. like a hard point but i think for like you guys especially like i'm gonna i'm gonna try and sell you on a fooder uh, for they're more great. Yeah, they're awesome. I think, you know... It, Are you actually selling or trying to sell me a fooder right now? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> We're always looking to buy. Fooder crafters. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, it's 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 beneficial in that um, there's a lot more uniformity. It's a lot more forgiving for uh, auction pickup because it's the, the volume, surface area to volume ratios. Um, you know, it's it's more it's more risky because if you mess up 30 barrel fooder, that's, that's 30 barrels of beer you got to dump. You know, if one barrel goes bad, that's two barrels of beer and it sort of concentrates the risk. But um, I also think, you know, as you learn how to work with the cultures you're working with, you, you get a lot better at what you do. Just anything in general, you get better the more you practice. So we got to a point that, you know, when I started with Almanac, we had 2,000 barrels of sour beer, 2,000 oak vessels of sour beer. And we're down to about 300 barrels now of oak, uh, single, you know, wine barrels. But we have a lot of fooders, and that's sort of a transition that just kind of knowing what we're trying to make and having a process to it that... It's more predictable. I know the outcome. So when we want to do a special project, it's done in, it's done in wine barrels. When I'm making, let's say, Sunshine Opportunity or the, the, the base for that, we call it Brett Session, you know, 5% Brett beer. That's really what the fooders are perfect for. Yeah. I want the same result consistently. Definitely, you know, from a production standpoint, we put out 15,000 barrels of beer last year. 30% of that was sour. And that's, you know... 3,000, 4,000 barrels of sour beer alone. When you're talking about those kind of volumes, it just, you can't house that many wine barrels. Like, you need to consolidate space, especially in the Bay Area where every square foot is so expensive. So, for us, working with a, a, a thousand barrels of fooder capacity, that's only 17 fooders, and it allows us to make blends, uh, big blends, especially when we're talking about 100 barrel, 200 barrel blends, and we don't have to put in that much labor to get that volume. So for our size, it makes it's the easiest thing to work with. I mean, that's got to put you in the top ten of um, American uh, like mixed fermentation. Oh, top five! Yeah, no, wow. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know really? I, I would Probably. believe it. I mean, for several thousand barrels. I, I don't know. Honestly, it's so like I think I I, I can remember on one of the episodes seeing something similar about that about the rare barrel. Uh, when we were starting, mm-hmm. like in, maybe in the first year of this podcast, and I think at this moment, based on that volume, we're probably around a quarter to a third of your guys' volume. So that's just in our backyard. And you, the way sour beer has exploded, mostly 
you know, due to this podcast. But it's <laughs> all about thanks, Jay. Thank thanks, you. Jay. <laughs> but, but there's like breweries out there making so much sour beer. Yeah, that the market could support that. That and we don't know actually. Like, I'll just give one example. When I went to visit Trillium, humble break, uh, <laughs> I saw their sour beer program and I was like, what? This Whoa. is one of the biggest sour beer programs in the United States. And, you know, I knew, of course, about Trillium's uh, hoppy can beers and they were well known for that. I knew they were growing a lot, but I had no idea they had this like two or three thousand BBL, you know, sour beer program going and i'm sure it's only gotten bigger since then so it's it's kind of hard to track i'm guessing your number one market for bottle sales is, is california right we, is it not we close sell about 70 to 80 percent of all the beer we make in all california. of it okay and how, how far out does the footprint go so you know we, we we're worldwide in the sense that we berlin. might send we might send three barrels to berlin <laughs> at some point this year okay, okay. Uh, but no, watch out berlin again like 80 percent of, of the beer we're making gets sold in california and then the rest of it's split between about 22 states specifically markets that we think really appreciate the beers that we're making and then ideally trying to target accounts that we personally like to drink at sure mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of awesome to go to philly and drink at a bar that you love and Hey, that's got my mix. I won't have it, but I'm not having. Yeah, exactly. I won't have it. Cheesesteak and somebody's local beer. Can I get yeah, some Geno's for some uh, almanac and a cheesesteak? Yeah, yeah, that's a fair trade. I want to ask quickly about the uh, because we still have the last of this uh, gin barrel aged beer in our in our glasses. Very good. It is uh, was it St. George uh, spirit barrels? Yeah. So what are you doing to? Because this is. It doesn't have, uh, like, gin I always think of as overwhelming, but this is pretty subtle. What's the barrel treatment look like? Um, in particular, we didn't really want to overdo it with the gin notes. We wanted it to be kind of floral and just kind of like an extra thing on there. But So this, this beer is blended almost one-to-one with the ungin version to, to really kind of accentuate the beers itself. The barrel of strength, it actually added like a, a one and a half percent, two percent alcohol. It was kind of wow, really? single barrel. Yeah. Uh, we, we had did, to blend it down. We had to blend it down just to make it very like palatable, palatable and okay. drinkable. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't. This one's like seven, very, I think. Very 7%. Easy, easy going. Yeah. No, it definitely has a lot of the characteristics of the un, un-ginned version, but I think the gin barrel added a little bit of more botanical, maybe a little herbaceous note to it that yeah. if you did a side by side, they would definitely be different beers. But it was just cool to have a little variation to something and, again, to work with St. George, who are our homies. We, like, uh, you know, just went down there. We were picking up some bourbon barrels, and they also had a gin barrel available. And we're like, can we get, can we have that, too? You guys are so and, lucky. And they were like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Actually, you guys got a gin barrel from them, too, right? We did. Yeah. But now we're going to have to bleep out just the name of St. George so that we can keep all of them for ourselves. Because <laughs> yeah. gin, gin barrels are just like... They're like beyond gold when it comes to it's sour beer making. I think if you can get one freshly emptied, you're just that beer's going to be really fucking good. I think of Commons. They had this like gin barrel peach beer that was just beyond belief. R.I.P. Commons, but just phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, just worked. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to this next beer, and and we had that tease question that pertained to this guy as well. Yes. This one I, is a uh, oak barrel age. It's got strawberries, raspberries, cherries, nectarines, and pear. Whoa, a lot of fruit. All the uh, things. How are we on time for this segment? Because we could we could tease this all out. Yeah. Oh, that's it. true. We can. Yeah, we can. We we could take a break. Because yeah. then I have some other questions that also go with this beer. That's yeah. We could, we can take a break. I do want to point out that both Jay and I wheeled around to look at the clock on the wall when we were like, "How are we doing on time?" We wheeled around to look at this Gordon, Gordon Beer's clock that's been on the wall. But yeah. if you notice, like the top of the show, it, it isn't working. <laughs> it's not. Doesn't work. Yeah, so- 
It's a little behind. Oh, no, you're right. <laughs> well, I, I haven't been looking at my phone. Too. All right, I'm, I've been. Do- I need to take that thing off the wall and recurate in here. But it's it's just along the theme of the you know it's a new year, same BN. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's <laughs> work. All right, let's okay. let's regroup. Okay, <laughs> let's take a break. Where uh, are we? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. That's a great question. That'll be my first one coming back on the next segment of the Sour Hour. Should I say one, two, three? Hi, this is Andrew from Modern Times Beer. Uh, I'm on the Sour Hour. Please. (laughs) Hey, this is Andrew from Modern Times Beer. You're listening to the Sour Hour, where skin contact isn't just a frame of mind. On the... Okay, one more time. Hey, this is Andrew from Modern Times Beer. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network, and we care about hops, too. How how long does it take you guys to edit this shit? It's the best. It's the best. It's the best. I I play it on every show, but I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) Reminder, we got to get it liners today. You got it. And a picture. And a picture. Scott, someone's a professional here. Yeah. And 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 Beeb will be be, (laughs) annoyed that she has to take a picture. It's a whole routine. Yeah. Well, she's also disgusted because she's eating while Andrew's saying, where skin contact is not just a frame of mind. (laughs) She's like, (laughs) Sorry, I didn't want to chew on. Yeah, no. Don't want to do that. I don't know what I was going to say to that. Cool. Yeah, Perfect. sorry. Perfect. It's gone. Moving Bye. Along. And we're back. Glad you're here today. <laughs> I'm leaving. She, yeah, she's leaving in a minute. Good. Oh, who's going to take the picture, though? Mm. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, who's going to take your picture? Oh, I'm not going to be here. Good question. Nailed it. We'll find Thank it. You. We'll stop a stranger on the street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have another beer open here with Almanac. Can I just say something really quickly about... Take it, having people take it. Why does it get screwed up so often? When like you know you want to post with the family and you you stop a stranger. Hey, can you take a picture of us. And you know sometimes it turns out, but then other times they've they've walked away. You look at your phone to see what they've taken, and it's like, what were you doing? It's like blurry. It doesn't. It's screwed up. That happens all the time to me. Does it happen to you guys? Totally. When people want to take selfies with me, when I'm just walking down. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta stop asking like the sixty-year-old grandpa. Ask like the twenty-one-year-old millennial who's taking selfies every day. Like she'll get the angles. Oh, she'll yeah. get like you know. She'll throw on a filter. Thing. That's like, ageist. I'm just saying, millennials know how to take photos. Portrait mode. Yeah, yeah. You're so right. I'm asking. The, I'm asking boomers. That's the problem. You should okay, stop boomer. asking people to take your pictures. It's <laughs> hell of annoying. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Jeez. What if I want my shoes in the photo? That's Someone's got to take them. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, sorry. We're here with Almanac. And three, we're saying? three, two, one. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> we're here with Almanac, and we've got their Farmer's Reserve number five open. This is a sour beer with many fruits. And tell us about this. So it's a fruit salad, for sure. So Farmer's Reserve five is like a nod to the first four beers we ever put out as a sour brewery, uh, one through four. It kind of plays a lot off of some of the themes. In particular, it leans heavy on like Farmer's Reserve number three, which is strawberries and nectarines. Uh, this incorporates a few of our other favorite fruits, and it's the first year-age sour out of our new facility. So it was a beer that we were really proud of, just something that we put out after after a year. And it got a medal at JBF this year. We got Ooh. a silver hey. for it. It's pretty stoked. Congratulations. In what, care, in what category? Uh, mixed culture. Okay, beer. 
Okay beer, yeah. <laughs> Silver and okay. You are the most okay beer in the okay category. Sorry, you said oak aged. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> No, it's fantastic. And I definitely get, yeah, I can't remember all the numbers, but like I remember the strawberry nectarine beer for sure, because that was a fantastic beer. And um, that does come out uh, pretty strongly in this. But um, we actually have, speaking of strawberries, a question from. Milk the Funk, Sean McVay, not the Rams head coach, but what are they doing with strawberries that is different from other breweries? Theirs is among the only non-plasticky strawberry sour that I've had before, except for the rare barrel. I added that last part. <laughs> Fields Forever is really good, and we yeah we have talked about that. That that is a good point. Do you guys yeah. did you guys have that experience? Like, where did you struggle with and, strawberries and for a while? Be, and this beer does not does not have yeah that. totally. So we originally used to source all of our strawberries from California for the first few years, and we've made some good beers with those with those strawberries. Shout out to uh, Dirty Girl for uh, Dirty Girl Farms. Let me clarify that one <laughs> uh, for the strawberries. And um, but this beer uses that got a reaction from Bevo. Yeah. Wow! Leave your girlfriend out of this. <laughs> Shout out, Dirty Girl. Uh, so this uses freeze dried strawberries. So that's just something we've we've learned over the years that certain certain ways of fruit work better for beers. And um, you know, anecdotally, people talk about the tops of strawberries being a problem. Talk about the seeds being problems. We can say from experience that we've included those and excluded those, and we've had phenolically and non-phenolic barrels. Uh, we used to only fruit in barrels, so it was kind of cool to see the differences, you know, went along. But when we switched to freeze-dry, just specifically for for strawberries, uh, the character always came out clean, always came out true to strawberry notes. No, none of the phenolic character. Mm-hmm. I can say anecdotally, my experience in the past was uh, the more white flesh on a strawberry seemed to re- correlate to more phenolics. But mm, interesting. So specifically, using varieties that um, you know aren't so uh, like grown for the supermarket, but grown for uh, actual flavor. Hmm. So the the riper the better. So, so when you cut up a strawberry, a lot of times it's just white through all the way through. It's like a supermarket strawberry. But there's varieties that you'll cut up in that are more for like jams and jellies that um, uh. will, be, will be like red all the way through. So it's it's not a ripeness thing necessarily. It's no, literally it's, the color. So literally a, like a varietal thing. So mm. I, we've had a good. Ex- I'll say we'll have you know for Bay Area folks, we've had good success with seascapes. But I think Chan- Chantel or Chanterelle or whatever is another variety that's, that's big out here. Those are uh, those were definitely something we wouldn't buy again. Yeah. Mm. Sh- Chandler, do- Chandler, that's the name of the variety, Chandler. We also do a lot of like crazy techniques at Almanac that probably you wouldn't have thought to have done, but we tried them and it worked. Uh, we've we've incorporated a lot of like uh, pump overs and punch downs from the wine industry, especially on our uh, bigger blends. Uh, we really want all that fruit flavor to get incorporated into beer. And, you know, when Phil first told me that we were going to be doing this, I was like, no, no, oxidation. No, no, everything's going to be just garbage. And then, you know, we tested it after doing a punch down or a pump over on our beers. And, you know, there was very little oxygen pickup. And we were able to get more contact with the fruit, extract more color, extract more flavor, exactly how winemakers do it. And there was no detriment to the beer. So um, maybe that's something that we're doing that other people might not be. So explain that process a little bit. What you know for someone who doesn't know what a pump over is, not me, obviously. <laughs> well, but. Jay, when a pump and an over get together and they fall in love, um, no. So it's a, uh, it, it's uh, I uh, some of my background. I made uh, wine for a year. Um, I uh, humble brag. Uh, humble brag. <laughs> At uh, Trillium. At Trillium. Uh, I made wine up in Sonoma, and then I did a harvest in Australia. And basically, when you're uh, fermenting your 
uh, wine, you have the juice in contact with the grape skins, and all the grape skins float to the top because of CO2. And so you want to make sure that all the flavor that's in those grape skins gets in contact with the juice and gets extracted. So in order to do that, you pump over the juice on top of the grape skins to wet them and extract more flavor out of them. And then a punch down is basically you're punching that cap of grape skins back into the juice in order to put more contact with the skins and the juice to keep extracting flavor. So we do that with our fruits. Say Mm -hmm. we're doing strawberries or raspberries or what um, peaches and so we're going to pump that beer over on top of the cap that's formed on top and that helps extract even more flavor instead of just having that top layer exposed and not really doing anything sure would you describe like kind of a similar part of the brewing process is like vorloff almost you know like is that yeah totally similar kind of thought process yeah and how do you like so you know a concern of yours david early on was uh the oxygen exposure are there ways to mitigate it or is it actually like you know like vorloff and a lot of mash tons where it's splashing against uh, the wall and kind of coming down or what what's the process there I mean, we have a uh, uh, Anton Parr Seabox, humble brag. Um, that, is, that, <laughs> that is a not so humble brag, yeah. And so we're able to measure these things uh, analytically and really get down to the PPB, PPB, PPM level in terms of where oxygen is, where our CO2 is. And so literally we do these pump overs and punch downs, and I'll be measuring off the tank as we're doing it, and there's no pickup. I think a lot of the CO2. Like parts. Yeah, there, there is a little bit of pickup, sure, but, you know. Brett loves a little bit of oxygen. That's why we keep it in barrels. And so I think a little bit of that oxygen is also helping that beer develop uh, and introducing a little bit more, especially when we're fruiting in stainless steel vessels, that oxygen is beneficial almost in ter- instead mm-hmm. of detrimental. So, yeah, in, our, in terms of our, our production, we do a couple punch-downs uh, punch uh, punch or pump-overs on our beers in order to extract as much flavor from that fruit as possible. And there's no detriment to the beer. Awesome. Scott, I think I have a show question for you. Mm-hmm. So I think we're outpacing our show time with the beers we're opening right now. Really? Because there's a bunch more beers back there. Are there a bunch more mm-hmm. beers back there? Uh, these are the last two. We have some, you know, palate cleansers. Oh, so, and so there's some. The rest of it is clean beer. There's a couple sours in there too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we could open those. There's also yeah. one uh, in the Brewing Network staff kegerator, the, the, the green room fridge. That just got tapped, I saw. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, on tap. Yep. That we could open. Perfect. Okay. Then, um, we're, then we're okay. Cool. And well, I want to make sure. Just, just, you know, I'm, I'm the, running this show right yes, now. Yes, the so, professional in the room. I don't know what you're doing, sure really, but, on pace. you know, yeah. Uh, well, I'm making sure that we get to the question that we teased. Did we? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did we get to that? Yeah. What's our the fruit, one that was really stuff? about Allagash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. was that one? So oh, we did, okay. We, I, I essentially <laughs> reworded it, and I think, we, I think we paid it off. <laughs> okay, good. Um, we use a lot of fruit. Then we did, uh, uh, again, thanks for Tim's brother's question, the strawberry question. And I have, I have a lot more questions. I think maybe towards the end we can do even like a lightning round of a lot of these things. But okay, um, cool. So we have more beers to go. Then I then I will start this next beer mm-hmm. because uh, it's a beer in a can. Which you know I'd say more often than not the the beers we're opening on the show we don't talk about packaging format that often. Maybe a design a little bit, but this is a, a sour beer in a can called Hypernova Two. Mm-hmm. And tell us about this beer, and then let's talk a little bit about can sour. I want to point out, too, that it does say on the side of the can, the first thing in all capitals, this is not a kettle sour. 
yeah. damn straight. We don't we don't make kettle sours. Um, nothing against them. People make some fabulous ones out there, but uh, we just use bacteria. Let it do its thing. Um, nothing is kettle soured. Um, and I think that's kind of a cool distinction about cans, and it's kind of trying to change that conversation because, like Jay said, historically this style is only ever packaged in bottles. Uh, so this beer, Hypernova, is um, really just focusing on plums. It's got a lot of other fruits in there, but it's really all about the plums. And these are plums from Blossom Bluff. These are fruit that we got back in July or August of last year. Just a heavily fruited, mixed fermentation Brett beer. Not too funky, not too sour. Um, something kind of unique about this is it has um, lactose in it um, in the mixed culture, which we were kind of scared to do at first. This is our second sour with lactose, and it's very light, but we were just kind of concerned about re-fermentation, not ever using milk, sugar, and sours. So it took a while to be convinced that things were stable, but... Uh, Things are stable. So this is also a preview of our beer week release. Uh, I don't know when this is getting released podcast wise, but this beer is not yet out. It's coming out for beer week, so Kaboom. you guys are uh, exclusive for sale on the seventh. Nice. Exclusive, pew, pew, pew. right on. It's a good drop before beer week, perhaps. <laughs> um, will. Yes, it will. Yeah. Well, so so walk us through the lactose edition more in the like uh, how much was it, and then what was your process for evaluating its stability and then kind of now confirming that it is stable so i mean another another you know kind of wrinkle to this is it's the spear finishes higher than most of our other beers just because of the amount of fruit that we use mm-hmm. um and really waited for that to be finished and fermented and prior experience just based on the fruits that we're using where it would end up and then we dosed in about a half pound per barrel of lactose blended that back up let it condition in the tank and just ensured that it was stable in the tank, knowing what we would add, making sure there was no either, uh, further fermentation. How, now, how long was that stabilizing? So just period? to guarantee, or for my own, like, you know, feeling good was about two weeks in the tank. Okay. Just at that point, knowing that I, and it's, this is the second batch we've done, so I kind of had a good feeling based on everything being the same. Um, but this is almost a month now in the can, just monitoring it, make sure everything's stable. We anticipate a small amount of re-fermentation in all of our cans. We're anticipating uh, 0.1 to 0.2 Play-Doh drop. Mm-hmm. Um, that's by design, uh, cleanup. Some cans we have done can conditioning whole, uh, you know, from the start. This beer is not. This is uh, tank conditioned. So I mentioned that kind of earlier that something we do for all of our beers is we spoon them. Um, all our brights are rated for 30 PSI. So a beer that's you know conditioning at heavy, heavy, heavy head pressure and re-fermenting in the tank, we capture all that carbonation and it works really well. Nice. Yeah, also after we package something, especially that has this much sugar, I'll put a couple cans or bottles into an incubator that we have in the lab. So to just speed up the process, it's definitely going to be a lot higher than just room temp. So mm-hmm. check those after a couple weeks and see if anything's happened. And that's kind of like also a QC check that we'll do. So why do you think that you don't have problems with this? Because, you, you know, you are... This isn't, this isn't how you would set up for, like, the most stable canned beer, right? You are... There are risks of a little higher finishing, plus the milk sugar. What do you attribute the stability of that to? Probably our house culture, yeah. Our house culture, you know, um, beer is fairly stable. Our, I mean, our, we, we know our, our recipes, one, so we know what we're starting with. Um, this beer is based on um, it's kind of the same recipe as Brett Session. We know where the terminal is. We can add fruit to that. We know where terminal is. We'll hold it. These beers in particular, again, I, I just want to stress that we take a lot of caution to make sure it is stable. It was a lot of like stressful nights and sleepless nights uh, the first time we started doing this. For sure, this is two years in now, and we just we have a we have a very strong feeling. Part of like what David said is the incubation, so we we we, we validate before we ever let anything go to the market. 
And the other part is, is that we keep a library going and we monitor that monthly to see how the library is changing. We warm store it. We really want it. We treat the beer like garbage in our library. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of yeah. like if someone left this in their trunk for eight months, what's going to happen? Scott, Scott scenario. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> Either Scott or Scottsdale. I mean, it's not really a, in an SUV. It's not really a trunk, Jay. It's kind of open to the rest of the car. Yeah, it's not the that AC's bad. The AC is running sometimes. Direct sunlight. Yeah. 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 Green bottles. You know, they're, they, they're supposed to have direct they sunlight. Better. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing at the Rare Barrel, too. So it's good to, you know, not only hear you guys are doing that, but also, you know, say it for the podcast because people should take this really seriously because things can go wrong. There's some folks that are packaging unfermented fruit that's going to ferment and that's, that's not cool whatsoever. We're not packaging unfermented fruit. Yeah. That's. We yeah. want customers to come back, not beers to come back. We, we also don't want like an instruction list of how to treat the beer. Like we absolutely want our beer respected, mm-hmm. but we just know that someone's going to forget about something somewhere. Yeah, and for sure. You know, not, not acceptable for it to explode ever. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Especially if your beer is going to you know ten, twenty states, and you know, I think uh, you know these unfermented beers we're talking about. A lot of that is, uh, ho- you know, hopefully it stays local. Hopefully there is an instruction packet for that. You know, keep cool, drink fresh, and it's kind of like a you think of it as a crowler or a growler fill. But you know, if one brewery doesn't get that memo, then they're sending out you know bombs essentially. We insist upon uh, cold, cold, cold chain supply as well. So everyone that picks up our beer has to pick it up in a refrigerated truck, even our bottle conditioned beer. It's just sort of the rules that if you pick up anything from Almanac, it's got to be refrigerated. All of our distributors have that rule as well. Uh, the only risk is when it goes out to the market so that we feel super confident that things are stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the right way to go. But, you know, uh, some things can go wrong with cans, and that's something that we as sour beer brewers, I include myself in this, who put beer in cans, have talked about kind of offline for a while. You guys have experience with this and looked into it quite a bit. Can you share some facts and tips on putting a sour beer into a can with the listeners? And I'll give a just a quick shout-out. I paraphrased a question from... Um, <laughs> Shane Bird from the Milk the Funk Forum. He's also asking about, you know, like... FDA approved BPA and cans and lids and low pH and unwanted chemicals. What have you guys found in, you know, this process of putting uh, sour beer in cans? Sure. You know, I'll kind of, I'll kind of back it up a little bit for folks that don't know necessarily that cans were epoxy liner. Uh, what's not, doesn't really have to explain what epoxy liner is, but all cans previously were epoxy liner. Epoxy, uh, includes, uh, BPA, which, uh, the state of California has found, uh, causes cancer birth defects a lot of other issues so the rules are now that every can must be bpa and i non-intentional bpa non-intentional cans that rule started right when we started packaging sour cans we did a lot of tests ourselves um, we found that when the liners were switched there was a brand of cans that was not compatible and we found that there was a brand of cans that is compatible so shout out to ball um, <laughs> <laughs> ball cans seem to work really well we've been aging beer now for two years in cans in our library to see uh, every package of ball bpa and i cans has been fantastic has worked really well so um, i think that's something that you know when we approached both manufacturers, one man, both manufacturers told us we would be okay. And I think this kind of falls back to the diligence that brewers need to do, which is just to make sure, do some tests before you put something on the market. Is it going to be okay? Uh, especially when it's something new like cans um, and sour beer. Anecdotally, it doesn't seem to be related to any specific you know, beer. It's any sour beer will destroy it. We know that 
the uh, you know cans that they use for you know for for, for Coca Cola are much lower pH. So it seems to be like a specific acid. Um, my own guess mm-hmm. is it's lactic. That's the unifying thing. Some beers have fruit. Some beers don't have fruit. It didn't make a difference. That's kind of our experience has been, uh, you know, beers are very stable, packaged in there. And then, um, oh, the other thing I would say is that temperature accelerates the, de- the deterioration of these liners if you have a problem. But um, even cold temperature, it's going to dissolve. You're going to have an issue. So things that we stored in the epoxy can or the BPA-NI from a one brand didn't work. All BPA and I cans from Ball work though, so anyone looking to package sour beer should start there. The segment sponsored by Ball. <laughs> is, it, is it the same company that does the the mason jars? It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're good at can. Cool. Yeah. No kidding. Can I ask? Uh, please, I mean, it's probably a foolish rookie question, so forgive me. In Bill unreasonably like that joke. <laughs> I'm a dog dad. <laughs> the lactose. I mean, you know, you think about milk in a, you know, over an extended period of time, it obviously can, like, you know, sour and get really bad. And does anything similar happen with lactose? No. So lactose is just simply a milk sugar. Um, so it's like another sugar. But um, what's different about it is it's not fermentable. It's selectively fermentable by certain yeast and bacteria. Lactobacillus happens to love it. Um, most Saccharomyces will not touch it. Some Brett will touch it. Um, but there's no rancidity issues whatsoever. It's just sort of a, it leaves a false sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's like it's kind of a nice, uh, you know, softener. Mm-hmm. I really like it as as a, as a softener. It kind of rounds out a mouthfeel. Sure. And the vanilla kind of the vanilla beans kind of work in that same vein. Totally. We yeah. use a lot of uh, vanilla for certain projects, and we, we really like it. So, for instance, the next beer coming up, Brimbrel Patch. I'm popping it right now. It, also, uh, uses, beer week exclusive. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it uses what? Uh, so it's a St. George bourbon barrel, and uh, I think there's a, a couple of rye barrels in there too, but uh, St. George bourbon barrels, and it uses, uh, there's a pound of vanilla beans in about 20 barrel batch. So it's not over the top, but um, the difference being, if you're used to making stouts, is that, uh, you know, sour is a very thin body beer, so kind of a lot goes a long way in a good way. We liked it because it kind of rounds the edges of the bourbon. So for a beer that's almost 8%, it does not drink like it. No kidding. No, definitely not. This is more uh, St. George spirit barrels. Like Phil said, bourbon barrels, peaches, nectarines, apricots, and vanilla beans. Again, we'll be bleeping out St. George <laughs> in the post. <laughs> yeah. So totally. that we get all of the barrels here we're, locally. We're, we're keeping Alameda and St. George to ourselves. <laughs> definitely. Cool. Um, let's see. Where are we at? All right. We're... I keep still looking at that fucking clock. <laughs> Don't laugh, Evo. It's still 12... 12- 46 or whatever. Yeah. It's doing uh, that thing, too, where the second hand is, like, sort of ticking back and forth. You know, it's trying to move forward, much oh, like the BN, but it's yeah. sort of stuck. <laughs> uh, we're, we're coming up on show break. Do we, uh, we want to... on the nose, isn't it, Bube? Tease us. So good. Do you want to tease this beer or get to it in this show? And then uh, let's let's do this one, and then we'll do the... Uh, I want to, we can get yeah, to we some, can do this one pretty quick. Yeah, okay. and we can get to some clean beers in the next show, which should be fun. A little palate cleanser. and that's go, the, It's the sour hour. Oh, yeah. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about sour this beer. What, what's yeah. this one called again? This is a uh, bourbon barrel patch. So this is the second uh, time we made this beer, but this time it was all St. George for bleep out that. Yeah. This time it was all a non uh, non-disclosed, anonymous uh, anonymous distillery. So about thirty percent of this is two year old beer aged in wine barrels. Just fun old, you know, heavy on the uh, the all the high. It's a lot of almond notes coming through, mm-hmm. and then the th- remaining seventy percent was uh, blossom bluff peaches and nectarines. Shout out to blossom bluff again. And then uh, aged for about six months. So about six months Brett beer blended with about two thirty percent two-year-old wine barrel aged beer. Really proud of it. We like it a lot. We think it's one of the better beers we've made in our existence. And 
just kind of different for our beers as well. We don't typically use a lot of spirit barrels for sour. We like how it integrated really well. It's very, very good. What do you think about this one, Scott? I have yet to sip it. I'm sniffing it. Gross. Gross that you said sniffing. Mm, yeah, I got you. Mm, okay, well, first impression, the vanilla bean is much more pronounced in this beer than it was in the Supernova that we just had. Totally. Uh, which is, you know, it's kind of acting not just to soften it. It still does, but now it's like a flavor. It's a big mouthfeel, big, big flavor. Mm-hmm, which yeah. I really like. I mean, I love vanilla. I don't know, where, where's you guys' head on vanilla? Love it. I hate the cost. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're expensive. Yeah. yeah. Crazy expensive. Actually, you guys make phenomenal uh, beer that um, I've always been inspired by, which is the Home Sour Home. And this last year, you guys did the rye version, which I really, really like. Yeah, that was Thank one of my you. faves. Thanks. Totally. That was, uh, yeah, one of our most popular beers of last year, for sure. And, and does, uh, I forget if Home Sour Home does it have peaches and nectarines. Peach, vanilla, cinnamon, okay. and we aged it in rye whiskey barrels. Mm, I don't think I got it. I don't think I got a chance to try the rye one yet. It's only for special people. <laughs> so, well, that explains it. <laughs> I feel special. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, I think you guys are doing a great job with these spirit barrels, especially you know with the bumps in ABV. None of them have even approached hot. To start, I mean, that's kind of the first thing I look look for. And to explain hot is just like, you know, just too bo- like too boozy kind of thing for the listeners who don't know. But then it's just so well integrated where it's it's never really like the first flavor I get, but it's always the second one, if that makes sense. It's not like I don't have to complimentary go... Complimentary, for sure. Yeah, I don't, but I don't have to go searching for it. It's not a nuance. It's it's really, it is that. It's like there's there's a flavor and then it's the... The barrel character, which I think is kind of ideal in, in my mind. Yeah, you don't want it to overpower, or you don't want it to just be one noted. Definitely making a beer in a boozy barrel, you have to think about the barrel and what it's going to add and make sure that uh, it's not going to overpower anything you put in there. We're definitely, definitely striving for balance, like in everything we make, whether it's sour or fresh, just be round and balanced and drinkable. Drinkable, I think, is kind of the key. Is it something, you know? you struggle to finish or do you really like you know mm-hmm. is it an easy glass sour beer can be a hard uh, amount of beer to drink a lot of i i personally don't guzzle pints of uh sour beer it's a sipper but you know it's if it's something that the next sip you're like okay cool i can i like what i'm going with this it's not uh you don't need a, a pilsner in between but it's nice absolutely yeah that really struck me about just going back to the first beer we had the gin barrel aged beer the the balance part and i, I mentioned mm-hmm. it that the, that the gin part wasn't overwhelming or far far from it but also you know it was really nice like you know when it first sort of hits your palate it's like oh a belgian blonde and then it immediately becomes clear oh no it's not a i mean this is a mixed fermentation beer but like none of the other parts of it the acidity or the gin or anything you couldn't pick out any individual thing it was just like a nice blend of other acidic nuance to this like belgian blonde you know i, I like i liked that a lot that it was just super balanced and Thanks, super drinkable yeah. yeah we've been Thanks. working on it for sure you know uh, we used to be very sour we have learned the hard way that ibus matter <laughs> and uh <laughs> we, familiar. we've been adding more and more ibus as we go and our, our, our lactobacillus is very aggressive so if anyone wants to hard up his barrel dregs i'd say start about 20 ibus Bottle directs for sure, you know, 20 IBUs. And Almanac beers are harvestable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we package we package all our beer with yeast inside mixed culture. If you were to get one of our farm-to-barrel beers, you would basically have our house culture, which is about 160 generations now, David, 150 Ooh, generations. Yeah. Nice. This thing has te- lasted the age of time. Like, <laughs> I've lost count. It, it, it's moved facilities. It's moved fooders. It's, it's a own living breathing thing it's our house cat so we call it the house cat yeah totally it's our it's our house culture it's um 
it's literally it's an amalgamation of a lot of different breads, a couple of different saison strains, and a lactose strain in there. There's a few other like novel yeasts, um, like cluvaramyces, that have made their way in there. Sourdough yeast starter made its way in there. Got some on. Berkeley Brewing Science yeast probably in Got there now. Got some Berkeley Brewing Science. <laughs> Shout out to those boys. Uh, Pikia. Things have come coming on. We don't we don't plate it. We don't we don't bother trying to uh, control it either. We like it. We we augment it from time to time. But it's the same culture that um, ferments every every sour beer we put out. Awesome. I think uh, there there are some questions on the house culture, but maybe we'll save it yeah. for the end of the next show. That I think we'll, that'll be me. like a good lightning round. I think lightning round for sure. And uh, Scott says we're wrapping up this one by playing the music it's, already. Before it I is give time. Rodeo. It is time. Uh, thanks to you guys. Omnac, great beer. Thank you for having us. We'll we'll hold them hostage for another show. Thanks to all the listeners. Thanks to everyone from Milk the Funk for submitting questions. Thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to Bevo. Thanks to Scott. Until next time. Thank you, Ball. Stay sour. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. We've got a good crew of monkeys.